So this story of uh, what's called the transfiguration, actually like the NLT translation says he was transformed uh, because that's part of what's going on there. The word in Greek is metamorphosis. It's the same word that is used in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 when it talks about us standing before the Lord and contemplating his glory and we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. The same word that's used in uh, Romans chapter 12 where it says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. All three of the Gospels tell this story. Uh, the Synoptic Gospels. John doesn't have this story. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes. So, so what is going on here? It's clear from the readings of Scripture that there is a connection between this event on this high mountain. We don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was Mount Hermon. It might be Mount Tabor. And the Mount Sinai experience with Moses. The two are connected visually in so many ways and also in terms of what's happening as God speaks in the midst of those mountaintop experiences. And we all have mountaintop experiences in one way or another. I was sharing with the, uh, with the church this morning that when I was a young boy in seventh grade, it was the first time I heard the proclamation of the gospel. And the guy who was talking said, if you want to commit your life to Christ, raise your hand. I raised my hand. Everybody was supposed to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And some guy comes up to me afterwards, an old guy. He was probably 31. And, and he says, Bill, did you, did you make a commitment this morning? And I said, yes, I did. And so he, he talked with me and prayed with me. And I entered into discipleship with Jesus Christ and been on that journey ever since. Nancy and I uh, would go to that uh, camp. It was called Forest Home. It's in the San Bernardino Mountains. And we would go there every year, multiple times. I, I don't know exactly how many times we went there, but somewhere around 60 or 70 times. And one of the things we always talked about was you have this mountaintop experience, but you have to go down into the valley and live. And that's, that's precisely what happens in this story as well. In each of the tellings of the story, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, preceding this, is the event when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. In other words, you're the king, the son of the living God. And uh, contrary to what we most often here, when we read that, is we read Son of God as third, second person in the Trinity. But really what's going on there, as Psalm 2 talks about, you are the king, the Son of God, because the king was called the Son of God. 
And then Jesus proceeds to tell them that he had to go to Jerusalem, make his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to be handed over to be crucified. And Peter, who was so right about you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is so wrong by saying, oh, no way, Jesus. May it never be. No way. And Jesus' response to Peter at that is, Get behind me, Satan. You're seeing things from a human perspective rather than God's perspective. And then he proceeds to say, not only am I going to die, but if anyone comes after me, if anyone follows me, in other words, if anyone becomes my disciple, they need to pick up their cross daily and follow me. And, you know, I can just hear Peter saying beneath his breath, I didn't sign up for that. Wait a minute. That's not what I'm... So when he's on the mountain with Jesus and the glory is revealed, I can hear Peter inside. He say, this is more like it. I like this. But eventually Jesus says, we have to go down the mountain. And what happens when they go down? All three tellings of the story, when they go down the mountain, they're confronted by a demonized boy. In which Jesus casts out that demon. That's where the battle is taking place. Down in the valley. And that's true for you and me as well. Whatever mountaintop experience we have. And it doesn't have to actually be on a mountain. Could be here in this basement. In this room. Where you meet God in a particular way. We don't live our lives out. On mountaintops. We live our lives out and we live out our discipleship in the valley. So what happens up on the mountain? Why do each of the Gospels tell this story? And in each of the Gospels, they tell this story as a turning point in the big story of Jesus. This is the end of his Galilean ministry and now he's on his way to Jerusalem And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be handed over and crucified. I think this experience happens to remind Peter and James and John, in particular the key disciples, remember who it is that you're following. This is my beloved son. And I think when God says that, On the mountain, it's no longer just, this is my beloved son, the king, but this is, in fact, my beloved son. Have you heard that phrase before in in the Jesus story? Where did it happen before? What? Come on, John. What? You guys need to speak up. I mean, right. The baptism is baptism. This is my beloved son. But on the mountain it is, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Who else is on the mountain with them? Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses are the two gigantic figures of the Old Testament. They stand for the law and the prophets. And now God is saying, Something new is taking place and you need to listen to my son. I happen to believe 
that means not only listen to his words, but also listen to his life. Jesus says at one point in the Gospel of John, if you know, want to know what the Father is like, you need to look at me. I only do the things that I t- see the Father doing. I only say the things that the Father tells me to say. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at me. So what role do the law and the prophets play in the big story of Jesus? What role do they play in our life of discipleship? After his resurrection, Jesus on the road to Emmaus is having a conversation with two, uh, two disciples. And on that, in that conversation, he opens up the law and the prophets and, he's, and he shows how all of the law and the prophets are pointing to him. So what role do the law and the prophets, what role does the Old Testament in particular have in our life of discipleship? Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets are signposts pointing to Jesus. If you want to pick up your cross and follow me, you have to recognize who I am and where I'm going and what that means for you. That the life of discipleship is not lived out in the glory of this blazing light, but the life of discipleship is lived out in picking up our cross daily and following him. Picking up our cross does not mean that we all have burdens that we have to bear. You know, if I, if I was a friend, if I was a, never mind. Um, yeah, I'll say it anyway. If I was a close friend of David's, you know, he's not the cross that I have to bear. The cross I have to bear is I need to die to myself and my agenda for life and pick up Christ's agenda for life. The interesting thing about the Gospel of John is because it doesn't have this story, instead the Gospel of John says, if you want to see the glory of God, you must look at the cross. The glory of God is revealed on the cross, which is counterintuitive to you and me as 21st century Americans. We think of power and glory the way it's revealed on the mountaintop. But the glory of God is revealed in weakness. Paul says over and over again in one place, I prayed to the Lord that he would remove this thorn in the flesh from me. And God said to him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Which is exactly what happens with Jesus. On the Mount of the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory is revealed with flashing lights. On Mount Calvary, the glory of God is revealed in shame. Which is exactly what Paul says in Philippians. That Jesus did not account equality with God something to be grasped at and held on to. Rather, he emptied himself and he became a human being. In fact, he became a servant. In fact, he became obedient to the point of death on a cross. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what 
the journey to Jerusalem is all about. We're about to enter into Lent. It's going to start on Wednesday night with, with Ash Wednesday. How do we listen to Jesus? Well, Lent is a great time for us to begin to listen to Jesus in a particular way. We listen to Jesus in the fact that he says many times things like this. You have heard that it was said, don't murder. But I say if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, you've already committed murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's the law. But I say to you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. The law says you, come, you find somebody who's committed adultery and you need to stone that person to death. But Jesus says, with grace and mercy, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Elijah brought down fire from heaven to destroy his enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. If that doesn't mean dying to ourselves, I don't know what does. So we need to listen to Jesus. How do we listen to Jesus? Well, one of the places that we listen to Jesus is in Scripture. We let the Scripture, we let the signpost of the Old Testament point to the Christ of the New Testament. And we, and we contemplate the life of Jesus. So during Lent, we're going to contemplate the life of Jesus together through Scripture. Another place that we come and listen to Jesus is around this table. As disciples, we gather in his name, and the central act of his life and death and resurrection is all bound up in this table. And so we, we remember what has happened in the past. We participate what God is doing in our lives here in the present, and we look forward to what he is going to do in the future at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We listen to Jesus. So uh, I want to say, the, here's the point of the sermon. I have two points. One, we need to learn to listen to Jesus. He trumps everything else. Secondly, we need to live life in the valley, not on the mountaintop. In the valley is where we engage with the darkness. A couple of weeks ago I preached about we are, that Jesus says we are salt and light. How does, the, how does the light dispel darkness? It doesn't go around and say bad darkness, bad darkness, bad darkness. The light is brought into the darkness. And as Paul says, as the light of Christ shines in our lives, then it shines through us to dispel the darkness of this world. So this Lenten journey is an invitation for us to walk that journey with Jesus and learn to listen to him and do what he says. Thank you for listening to the Bloom Church Podcast. For more information on who we are and how you can get involved, visit our website at bloom.church. Bloom.church